Welcome to Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and as always, thanks for tuning in. Another day that we wake to the news that the president is in some hot water over something he did or said. News in the Washington Post yesterday that when the president met with the Russian foreign minister, he divulge some classified information that no one expected him to, least of all, apparently, the allies who were involved in helping us to get that information. There has been lots of chatter and debate about what he did and what it means and what it should mean for his presidency. We are going to try to talk a little later in the hour about that with Congresswoman Debbie Dingell, who is uh, going to join us about halfway through the show. She is just returning to Detroit, uh, but she should be in a position to talk to us uh, by phone a little later in in the hour. We're also going to talk with Wayne State University President Roy Wilson about his third annual urban cycling event, the 2017 Baradour, which uh, is going to be held later uh, this year. Uh, Really interesting event where he gets folks together to see the city by cycle, which is a really different way to take in Detroit. But first, yesterday we talked about the legal ramifications of defunding Planned Parenthood as well as what the future might hold for Roe v. Wade. We spoke with Wayne State University Distinguished Professor of Law Robert Sedler. He argues that defunding Planned Parenthood would be unconstitutional. It's because the U.S. Constitution bans Congress from punishing organizations for providing services that are constitutionally protected. In this case, U.S. Supreme Court ruled in Roe v. Wade that abortion is a protected constitutional Right. To get an opposing view of Sedler's argument, I spoke briefly, ever so briefly, it turned out, with Right to Life of Michigan Legislative Director Ed Rivett. We ran out of time yesterday because I went long in a segment that I got very excited about at the top of the hour yesterday. Uh, talking with Tim Alberta of Politico about the current situation in Washington. And that meant that Ed Rivett got very little time to talk with me about his view of these issues, Planned Parenthood and Roe v. Wade. So today I wanted to give him the opportunity to come back and have that fuller conversation instead of just a few minutes at the end of a show. And Ed Rivett was gracious enough to join us again uh, today. Ed, welcome back to Detroit Today. Thanks, Stephen. Appreciate it very much. Yes, absolutely. So yesterday when we ran out of time, (laughs) we were just starting to talk about uh, your view of what Professor Sedler said uh, about defunding Planned Parenthood. And and the point you made was, uh, I thought, uh, quite uh, quite interesting that, uh, yes, uh, abortion is a protected right under the Constitution, but there's nothing in the Constitution or in federal law, in fact, that says you have to use federal funding uh, to, to support that right. And for instance, we don't have Medicaid abortions uh, as an example. Um, but, I, but I wanted to have you back today to sort of expand on that point and on this conversation, not just to talk about uh, whether it's legal to defund Planned Parenthood, but, but your position on the idea of punishing that organization, which does provide Lots and lots of services to women, uh, in addition to the 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 the, sur- the abortion services that it that it provides. Uh, there are there are many many people who rely on Planned Parenthood 
for those services. I wanted to to, to have a, a broader conversation with you about that and also about this issue, which I think uh, is one of the more it's one of the more vexing uh, issues in politics and culture in this in this country. Uh, it's been going on for a very long time. I, I, I can remember writing a story back in 2003 about the abortion debate and how it had not matured, it felt to me, uh, in the way that it maybe could have, that, that both sides in this debate really are dug in in a way that makes it impossible to, to have a conversation about how policy might evolve in that way. And I just want to give you a chance to talk about those things from your side of the fence here. Okay, great. Well, I'm going to take about five minutes uninterrupted because yeah, your lead-in was three and a half. So let me unpack. That's my show, all. Ed. Yeah, it is your show. That's how it goes. I'm the host. I can talk as long as I want. Uh, so let me unpack a lot of that, and I'll try yeah. and do it in, in successive order of the number of issues that you raise. First of all, uh, uh, Professor Sedler is just trying to put a round peg into a square hole when it comes to the bill of attainder argument and so on. Uh, because this is really about an appropriation about how Congress spends money, which a bill of attainder is not related to how Congress chooses to spend money. And as you pointed out, we don't fund Medicaid abortions. Uh, we haven't in this state since the public voted on it in 1988. So if a woman doesn't have a constitutional claim on funding for her abortion, even though Medicaid will pay for all of the other med- other services, Uh, that she would need, including related to pregnancy uh, and childbirth. The court said very clearly as far back as 1978 or 79, I believe, maybe even 77 uh, uh, in the Harris versus McCray decision, that there is not a governmental obligation to fund abortion. So the whole question of funding an abortion, uh, regardless of a woman's right to it, uh, is it has already been settled, and it's been settled for a very long time. So this argument that now we're going to come around and make a bill of attainder argument, which is just really unconnected historically from anything related to appropriations of funds that Congress uh, spends. I'll also point out that if it were wrong to say we couldn't single out Planned Parenthood and say they're, they're not eligible to receive these monies, uh, it would almost be the, the, the reverse to say, well, why is it that Congress can specifically appropriate tens of millions of dollars just to Flint, Michigan, and not the other cities that have infrastructure problems or water uh, supply problems? So the idea that we don't funnel or channel dollars specifically to a certain organization or city or some other entity, or that we can prohibit a single entity from being eligible, it just doesn't fly because they do it every day all the time. So I, the, the whole argument is, is just, it, it doesn't hold water. And, and as I mentioned yesterday, uh, sometimes Professor Sedler ends up on the wrong side of history as he, he promoted uh, the idea that there was a constitutional right to assisted suicide 20-some years ago back in the Kevorkian era, and he was wrong 9 to nothing on the U.S. Supreme Court and 7 to nothing uh, wrong on the Michigan Supreme Court. So I would just argue that this, this is just a place where he's trying to extend a legal argument. Well, but, but I would fit. also say that it's not just Professor Sedler who's, who's making yeah, this it, argument. It doesn't, There's a lot of constitutional I, scholars who's, who have it, argued the same it, thing. I don't think they have. I don't think they persuasively argue. And if they had, they would already be out there pressing the case, and and there would be uh, the discussion would be robust in Congress over a bill of attainder. And it's just not. 
uh, it's just not going to fit. So, um, you know, that's that's kind of the nature. Now, it's interesting you chose uh, to say that if Congress were to uh, to defund Planned Parenthood, that they would punish the organization. Well, in our opinion, that it would be a just appropriation of funds because we believe that in Michigan, for example, there are 175 federally qualified health centers. They provide all kinds of services. They pri provide all primary care services. Uh, and they, uh, a big number of them also provide OB-GYN services, which could include labor and delivery and, and other reproductive-related services. And we think that they're all appropriately eligible for these funds because they do not provide abortion. Um, and so when people say, well, we're punishing them, well, no. Planned Parenthood makes that choice to be involved in abortion. And I would, I would also add that... Um, you know, they could choose not to provide abortions. And here's the big crux. Why are we, why do we care about Planned Parenthood? If, quote unquote, this money can't be used to pay for abortion. Well, that's a facade. Because if you look at the grant funding and the, uh, and the specifics of these federal programs, you can pay up to two-thirds of the staff's salary with grant funds for, for all of their salary. So even if only five or 10% uh, or 15% or of that clinic's business is abortion. We're paying for almost all of their salary. It can be used for the rent. It can be used for the utilities. Well, but so I mean, we doctors provide lots of different services. I mean, it, I, but, but the point is, is that it's government dollars keeping the lights on, literally paying the utility bill, paying the rent, paying hmm. the salaries, and they walk into this room, and in, one, in this very same room, they will, with quote-unquote government dollars uh, only, provide reproductive health care services or pl family planning services. And then the next patient who walks in there, in the same room, paid with the same staff, paid with the same rent and the same uh, uh, facilities and the same janitorial services, they're going to have an abortion, and quote-unquote, that's not being paid for by tax dollars. That's like saying we're going to have a paint sale, uh, or we're going to give away the paint, uh, at the hardware store. Now, you still have to buy the brushes and the rollers and, and everything else that goes along with it and not say that we're not but, subsidizing but do you not think, that I mean, process. I, I think that's reflective of the scientific and medical community's view of health services, that there's a spectrum of services that, 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 that are... That is are, correct. And, and you had mentioned that our debate... Our debate over, you know, as far back as your piece in 2003, that the argument over abortion hasn't matured. Sure. We haven't taken it to a level. And there's a reason for that. There, there are a couple of reasons. But let's talk about what we consider the continuum of health care services. Now, under Roe versus Wade, abortion is legal through all nine months for any reason the woman and the doctor agree affects her health. And then in the decision that no one knows about, Doe versus Bolton, which was handed down the same day as Roe, sure. it says health means anything. Health means financial considerations. Health means familial consideration. Health means anything the woman wants it to mean. Now, we've never had that debate, Steve. This audience has not talked about Doe versus Bolton. So our conversation hasn't matured because we keep running and hiding from the whole truth of abortion. We had to have a debate in this country over partial birth abortion because Roe versus Wade, up until that point, was interpreted to allow a baby to be pulled feet first from the womb and have its brain suctioned out. 
while most of its body was outside its mother. So we had to have that debate in uh, in the courts. Well, right. I mean, we certainly you know, have had 30, cer- 20, 25 years after Roe yeah. versus well, Wade. We certainly we were have just had exploring. We certainly we were have just had exploring debates. What Roe means. We certainly have had debates about the scope and and uh, uh, feasibility of. Of, of Roe. And, and, and that's not what I mean. I don't mean that it hasn't matured in that way. And and Congress has many times returned to this question and placed limitations on when and how abortion can take place. And I guess I'm not, I'm really not talking about that. What I'm trying to get to is this, is this idea of uh, can we have, can we have a conversation about where, where religion stops in, in public life? Where where culture stops in in terms of of, of policy, uh, this is a this is an argument that that is an either or. It's almost always framed as an either or. And it, it is an either or. And 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 you're and I think we can. I think we can. And I think it's difficult because it's emotional. Uh, and I think it's difficult because pe- people do have varying perspectives on how they value human life. Steve, do you have any kids? Do you have kids? I do. Okay, so let, let's do this scenario, and let's get as philosophical as we can. You're at your kitchen sink, and you're washing the dishes, and your kid comes in behind you, and you, before you can turn around and see, your kid says, hey, Dad, can I kill this? Now, before you're going to make an answer to that question, you're going to turn around and see what it is that he has. Now, if he has in a, in a glass jar a nasty old big old spider he found in the basement, you're probably like, yeah, sure, go ahead. We don't want that guy around the house anyway. Now, if it's my neighbor's cat who uses my flower bed for uh, a litter box, uh, and it was my kid, I'd, I might have to think for a minute about whether I'd let my kid kill that cat. Um, but, of course, I would choose to say, no, you can't do that. So now the question for our society is, hey, Dad, there's this unborn child. Can we kill that unborn child? Is there a rationalization? Yeah, I, is there I, I, a justification? I have a really, I have a really visceral visceral problem with that analogy. Yeah, it's, now, it, hold it. Stop right I mean, there, Steve. It's an incredibly... Stop right, Steve. It's a, Steve, well, you right. need to stop right there. So, Ed, and so Ed here's one thing that no, we're not going to no, do. You're not letting me talk, Steve, and I'm going to keep talking until you so let me Ed, talk. So, Ed, here's one thing you that's not going to happen. You're not going to shout me down on the program. The false equivalency that you're making there is pretty offensive. It's offensive to me. I would imagine it's offensive to a number of the women who are listening to this show and who who listen to this show regularly and so i wanted to point that out and yeah, i don't wait, wait a minute. but we can't here's what we can't do ed you, you you're rejected. a guest so you can't you can't shout over me you can't shout me down well, okay look steve you just you so just i mean expressed. you're trying to take us down you're trying to take us down a road of false equivalency that that doesn't lead no. us it, it does exactly the thing that i that i was talking about which is no no you're not steve the first thing out of your mouth was, I have a very visceral reaction. Re- reaction so to the false equivalent. Well, you stopped me no, before no, I could finish what just, I was saying. A visceral no. reaction to the false equivalency that you're That's drawing not, there. What's a, first of all, I didn't make a false equivalency. Well, I don't know. Maybe you don't know what that means. Point, no, I didn't make a false equivalency whatsoever. I made the point. But because you, quote, viscerally reacted... We just started shouting over one another. Well, I didn't okay. shout, start Perfect shouting over ex- you. Wait, because you, you didn't let me finish my. Me. You didn't finish. You let me finish my point. You didn't let me finish my point. And this is what happens in the debate 
all the time. Well, it defines I, I, the abortion debate because we have visceral reactions, and then we shut one another off. No, I'm not shutting it. If I was shutting you saying. off, Ed, I would have cut the line, but all right, uh, I so didn't do that. Yeah, well, Ed, let's, let's take so a call let, here. Let, let's take a call here. No, uh, let me go back to the false equivalency. I wasn't comparing a spider to a cat to an unborn child. What I was saying was, but that's the, the line you drew. No, no, no. What I hear because you didn't let me get to the rest of the point. The point is, we have to decide collectively as a culture. We have to decide. We have to have the discussion. What is the value of the unborn child, the fetus? We have to say what is it, and then what moral status does it deserve collectively, culturally? Can we agree to? Because if we don't ever have that discussion, we'll continue to have the exact same debate we've had for think, more I than I think that's probably a fair point. My point is we have to focus on and collectively decide what is the moral value. And the Supreme Court but we also have to, Wade, But we also have to balance that. We have well, to balance I, that because of science against the, the, the incredible, incredible uh, weight of uh, the the rights of the person who carries that fetus and the responsibility that comes yeah. with oh, the, yeah, the, the the carrying of that fetus. I mean, those things are. I mean, that defines the conflict here. I don't. I don't doubt that uh, at, at, in any way. I guess my point is that. Uh, we we aren't, and maybe we're agreeing, uh, perhaps loudly agreeing, that uh, we never get to that. We never get really to that debate because it ends up being these either-ors. I, I do want to get to the phones here. I, I think we have a caller who may add something important to this discussion. Amy in Dryden, welcome to Detroit Today. Hi. Um, I am normally a really big fan of the show, um, but I, I needed to chime in to say, I have had an abortion. Uh, first of all, absolutely no regrets for that decision that I made. But, but most importantly, once again, we have no female voices like contributing to this discussion. Yesterday, you had a male lawyer discussing the, even the pro the pros of abortion. But in today, it's again more male voices, and it's just really frustrating that the person who is making the decision is a woman or at least a person who is carrying the child, and they're not contributing. Well, Amy, I think that's a great, that's a great point. It's something that, that we thought about when we put these two segments together. Uh, I will point out that Laura Weber Davis, one of the producers here on Detroit Today, is the person who interviewed Bob Settler and had that conversation with him. It was Bob's point about uh, the constitutionality of defunding Planned Parenthood that triggered uh, the segment. There was no way to do it without Bob. Uh, and then, of course, we wanted to represent the other side, uh, and so we've got we've got Ed uh, from Right to Life here. Uh, but we certainly don't want to we don't want to uh, obviously uh, push w- women's voices out of an is- out of a debate that is about women and women's issues, women's health, and women's rights. I really appreciate you calling. I I, I would love for you to to sort of expand on what you think about this debate and uh, what's going on with Planned Parenthood and Roe v. Wade, given that this situation affects you quite personally? I am I am fully in support of Planned Parenthood. I love every single service that they offer. Um, in regards to personhood and when a child is can be considered a person, especially when you're looking at a fetus, 
I'm a scientist by training, so that kind of colors my view on things. But um, I, like I said, I've had an abortion, but I've also, I also have two kids and that I chose to carry to term and absolutely love and adore. And what I found in the difference between that pregnancy that I aborted and the pregnancies that I kept, it was very much like how I define the the child that I was carrying was whether or not I wanted to carry that child. Right. And that kind of view kind of gets a little bit murky when, you know, women face some terrible choices if they have a diagnosis that they find out late pregnancy. But even then, you know, if I think how I defined personhood was entirely influenced by whether or not I wanted to keep that pregnancy. So with the abortion, it was never a person to me. But yeah. immediately when I found out I was pregnant and wanted to be pregnant, that was my baby and I wanted to keep it. And I think part of the problem is that with people like your guest who they just automatically, they don't consider that, you know, it was just a cluster of cells to me. And even in the beginning with my first pregnancy, I called it a blood grape. So it's like... Yeah. I, I think, <laughs> and again, the complexity you're reflecting there is, is important. And it is, it, to it me, is. the most important thing is that this is not as as simple or or sort of bare-knuckled uh, an issue as we often as we often try to characterize it and, and and Amy I'm glad you called to share that story because I think it gives again texture to this debate that uh, that you are not uh, you are not someone who's who's thought carelessly about this for instance uh, somebody who somebody who just makes a, a rash decision um, this is this is something that that you carry with you a long time and have to make a very personal decision about. And I think that the debate, whether it's on the pro-life side or on uh, the, the, the pro-women's rights side, um, uh, I, you know, I think it, it misses that an awful lot. So, Amy, thank you very much yeah, for I'm, that. Uh, yeah, go it, ahead, Ed. It's, yeah, it's interesting because this morning I was in my office with my colleague, uh, Genevieve, and uh, I almost sent her to do the interview. Um, I said, you know, it would almost be better. But she said, oh, it's going to be on all the legal questions. It's going to be constitutional, and you have all the experience, <laughs> so you should go. But there was almost a coin toss in the office that, uh, <laughs> that my female colleague would well, come. Well, and sometime in the future, we would love debate. to have – I would love to have that conversation with her as well. I mean, yeah, I think, uh, yeah, because uh, I think Amy's right, and, and she pointed out several things that just get to the heart of it. One is, yes, there's male voices, but male voices, you know, we have a legitimate place in this debate because it's a very – contextual, as you just said, it's a contextual social debate we're having. And and she did reflect the complexities. And I, and I think it's hard sometimes for us to, again, separate the emotion, but also to, to ask ourselves, how will we be consistent in ultimately addressing this issue that we can seem to just go in endless debate and not resolve yeah. when we have to come down to some fundamental decisions? As she said, how did I define that unborn child, fetus, whatever, you know, it, it, it kind of was a fluctuating thing. And yeah. that's part of the challenge of the debate. Yeah. Uh, Ed Rivet, uh, I want to thank you very much for coming back today to, to have more of this conversation. I want to apologize for 
the little rancor there. I mean, I didn't. I certainly didn't mean to cut you off. I know you felt like I did, but I think in the end we got to we got to have a, a better debate about this than uh, than well, we did yesterday, at least. Well, <laughs> and, and I appreciate the time, and and, and it's always going to be somehow we have to be able to put up some sort of a a, a ground rule like says let's try not to get emotional about abortion. <laughs> oh, yeah, right. <laughs> I'll, I'll work the, on one that, of the biggest challenges. Right. <laughs> right. And thank you very much for uh, thank being you. Here. And we will, we will look forward to future conversations with uh, you and your organization. All right. Okay. Uh, up next, uh, we're going to talk about the the news yesterday that President Trump made disclosures of intelligence, classified intelligence, to the Russians when he met with them last week. Debbie Dingell, Congresswoman from here in Michigan, joins us next. Stay with us on Detroit Today.